Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series 7, The Root Vices. This series looks at the seven root vices from which other sins grow and identifies ways we can cut the root vices and become more like Jesus. Today's text is going to be from John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 26 to 29. I'll be teaching out of the New International Version. You can follow along on the screens, on the card there in front of you, or in your Bibles. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 26. Hear now the words of your Creator and your Redeemer. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I actually just started rereading C.S. Lewis's classic uh, fictional story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that story, there's four young children, and they are able to go into this fictional land named Narnia. And one of the kids, Edmund, gets in and he meets, unfortunately, the first person he meets is the white witch who is controlling Narnia. And she gives Edmund, she asks him if he would like something to eat and he says, yes, he wants this candy called Turkish Delight. And he eats all this Turkish Delight, an entire, a couple of pounds of it, it says. And uh, at the end of it, it says this, at last the Turkish delight was all finished and Edmund was looking very hard at the empty box and wishing she would ask him whether he would like some more. Probably the queen knew quite well what he was thinking for she knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight and that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it and they would even if they were allowed go on eating it till they killed themselves. So In this story, evil is lying at the heart and it is brought in, there is a problem related to food. Now in in this fairy tale, of course, it's enchanted Turkish delight. But if you've ever read the Bible or are familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden, we can recognize from there, one does not have to have enchanted food for food to become a problem. It can lead us to ruin whether it's enchanted or not. So as we've been going through here talking about these seven root vices that people oftentimes refer to as the seven deadly sins, we've been looking at each of them, and this week we're going to turn to gluttony. We saw last week in greed this disordered love and desire that that reached out to material things. Well, over the next two weeks, this week and next, we're going to see a couple of specific ways that greed works itself out. This week, relative to food. Next week, relative to sex. So today we're going to talk about gluttony. Is it a problem? Why is it a problem? And if it is, how would we fight it? So let's dive in. Now the problem of gluttony, 
we can see in this text that we're looking at today that Jesus defines what gluttony is for us. And gluttony at its core is desiring food more than God and more than eternal life. So notice in verse 26, the people are coming up. Remember, this is the story where the people had uh, been there when Jesus had multiplied the loaves and the fishes, and he had fed thousands of people with just a few loaves and a few fish. And the next day, they've gone all the way around this massive, huge lake there, and they're trying to see Jesus, and they're wanting to get him. But Jesus tells them in verse 26, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign. You're not looking for me because I multiplied a small amount of food into a huge amount of food, and therefore you ought to be asking the question, who is it that could possibly do this? How does he have the power to do this? That's not why you're here. You're here because you had the loaves and the fish and you had your fill. You're here because your stomach got full yesterday and you'd like to get your stomach full today. And he's telling them that gluttony, therefore, is that you're desiring food even more than eternal life. The Son of God is here. He did a miracle. And rather than being interested in that and being interested in the question, you just want me to give you some more bread. You just want to get your stomach filled. And so ultimately, gluttony is about a preference for food over God. And as we tease this out, I, I want to be careful to say it and as we go through this, this was another one of the sins that when I looked at it, I would have said, well, gluttony is not particularly a problem I have, but we need to understand gluttony, you, you, can, you can be overweight and not be a glutton. You can be rail thin and be a glutton, okay? It's not just about that, and it's not even necessarily the exact amount of food you eat, it's rather your relationship to food. That's what it's really, really about. So, so Jesus here is telling us that these people are desiring bread and fish more than they're hungering after God. Now, the second point that Jesus brings out in verse 27 is that gluttony is an excessive focus on food rather than being focused on God and eternity. Notice what he goes on and he tells them is he says, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man is going to give you. So notice here what he's saying is their focus and their labor. Jesus says, look, you all followed me out in the wilderness, and then I fed you. And then you got up and you raced all the way. You marched around to get over to the other side to get to me. You put in all this labor, but not because you thought I could tell you about God. Not because I'm actually the way to eternal life. You just did it for food. That's the only reason you did it. All of your work and all of your labor is after temporal food. And this physical hunger has eclipsed a hunger for God and eternity. And Jesus goes on and notice he gives them then the proper focus, the way humanity is meant to exist, and he lays out the gospel for them which is in verses 27 to 29. The proper focus, of course, is going to be Jesus himself. Notice he says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? So you're telling us we're working for bread, and that's not really what God's after. Well, then what is the work of God? And Jesus tells him in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They're focused on bread and fish. They're focused on their physical needs. Jesus says you ought to be focused on true bread. You ought to be focused on the true bread that God gives for the life of the world, which is me. Your laboring and all of your labor is after this temporal food that spoils and goes bad. You need food that will last forever, and that's what you ought to be laboring after. Jesus later on, if you remember, this is one of the famous I am sayings in John's gospel. In fact, it's the first one where Jesus is going to tell him, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the true bread. And so the people therefore say, okay, well, if you're the true bread and you're telling us not to work for this other bread, then what is the work that God is after from us? What does God want us to do? And Jesus says, the gospel. What God is looking for from you is that you believe in me. And gluttony at its core is about the gospel being eclipsed by our temporal hunger. And so what goes on here is Jesus is calling out a contrast. There is a contrast between those whose focus is on fulfilling their temporal cravings and those who have a hunger for eternity, between those who eat only earthly bread and those who are hungering for the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, between those whose labor is for themselves and for things that spoil and perish in this world and those whose labor is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says there's two different ways. And so he deals with this crowd right here, and if you remember by the end, that they all are turning away and leaving him. They don't want to hear this message. The entire massive crowd, Jesus is shown to be correct. When he presses home the gospel, they turn away, and they're not interested. Remember, this is the famous scene where actually Jesus even turns to the disciples and says, are you going to go too? And Peter says, well, where, where else could we go? Only you have the words of life. Only you unlock eternity for us. There's nowhere else where we could go. So Jesus here has dealt with this, and so we're going to take this and talk about what gluttony means. What is this root vice of gluttony, and why did the early church talk about it so much? Well, let me give a definition of gluttony, and for our visitors or those who haven't been here throughout the series, each week we're defining these, and we're defining them uh, in a way that it's related back to how the vice is a disordered love. You and I were made to know and love God supremely, and every one of the vices is a way that we are oriented to something other than God. And so we're defining it in that way. So what do we mean by gluttony? Gluttony is a disordered love that excessively craves food and drink, attempting to fill spiritual hunger with material fare. And by fare, we mean food and drink. So it is a disordered love that excessively craves food and drink, attempting to fill spiritual hunger 
with material fare. So first off, notice that we're saying that gluttony excessively craves food and drink. Now the important words there are excessively craves. How many of you in here need food and drink? The reality is, as basic as clothing and housing are, can we live without clothes or a house? We can. Can we live without food? It's not possible. It's a basic need, and the Scripture tells us this. The problem is not wanting food and drink. In fact, we were created with a need for food and drink. The type of being you and I are requires food and drink to live. And the Scripture tells us this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Right after we're told that God has made humanity, the first thing he says is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The second thing he says is in Genesis 1, 29, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So notice how important food is for us. Second thing God says to us is, you need food and I've given you food. I've taken care of that. All the earth is yours. All of these uh, plants and, and things out there, and later on after the flood, he even gives us all the animals. He says, they are yours for food. So God recognizes we need food. He made us that way. And in fact, it's not only part of our created order, but even when God had Old Testament Israel worshiped, he commanded them to eat and drink before him. That was part of their worship. It was not only part of their creation, but part of their redemption. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, God is giving commands about festivals and feasts. And he says this in Deuteronomy 14, 23. Eat the tithe of your grain new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So God says, here is part of your worship. I want you to celebrate. If you look at this, this was like a week-long party they had to have, and it was commanded by God. Contrary to the way we oftentimes think, the problem with the vices, the, the answer to them is not that we go to the opposite extreme. God does not say, don't want food and drink. That, that's not the solution to this. God, in fact, as part of worship said, look, the land is produced. You have food. You have wine. You have good things. I want you to come in and I want you to eat and drink and be merry as part of your worship. That's what God required. So it's not only part of creation, it was even part of our worship. And furthermore, in the New Testament, we're told that it's in fact not the teaching of God, but in fact the doctrine of demons to say, try and cut out food. Okay, In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's talking about, he says, the Spirit tells us that these, these false teachings are going to come along. And beginning in verse 2, he says this, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Don't you wish Paul would be clear as to what he means here? Verse 3, they forbid people to marry and they order them to abstain from certain foods 
which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is consecrated by the word, if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word uh, of God and prayer. So Paul here says that the big word for this is being an ascetic or asceticism which is, I'm going to punish my body. And the way to be spiritual is to eat as little food as possible, to never have good food, to try and just get by. And Paul says, that, that's the doctrine of demons. That's not the way we were made. God said, all the plants were yours. God's given food for you to eat and drink and enjoy. So the problem in gluttony is not that we want food. It's that we excessively crave food. That's the real issue, uh, what we're doing. So the second point is that gluttony is this excessive craving of food because it's attempting to fill our spiritual hunger with material fare. In other words, we have a hunger inside, but it's a spiritual, an emotional, a, a soul that needs to be cared for. But rather than caring for that, I try and stuff it with food. So Jesus, uh, if you remember when he was tempted, he actually quotes in his first temptation, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, uh, which is, uh, a verse out of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and Moses is telling them at the end of it why all these things went on. And in Deuteronomy 8.3, he says this about them getting manna in the wilderness. He, the Lord, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. And here's why he did this. Here's why Israel for 40 years Every day, except on the Sabbath, there was manna. And they went out there. Why did God do this? Well, here's why. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So this is the lesson of physical hunger pangs. We need God and the food he provides. The reason, see, God could have made us do angels have to eat. No, they don't. God could have made you so that you would not need food and drink, but he did not make you that way. And here's why he did not. Every time hunger pangs happen, every time we feel thirst, God says, I'm giving you that to remind you, you are the sort of creature who needs me. You are the kind of creature that has not only physical, but spiritual needs. And the physical needs, the physical hunger is meant to remind you of those needs. And so Israel was taught this in the wilderness. They were out there and in the wilderness, which is a desert, could Israel provide for themselves? No, you can't provide for yourself out there in the desert. How are they going to be cared for? By God. God is going to provide them. And so Moses says, look, this is what God is doing. He is teaching this. But did Israel learn this lesson? No. Time and time and time again, we see Israel fail in the test of food. And they grumble and they complain. 
They say, we want to go back to Egypt. We're sick of this manna. Can't you give us some meat? They fuss and they moan and they whine over and over again. And God is constantly meeting their needs. But he's saying, but I'm doing it to teach you. You don't live by the food that you make. You live by the word that comes from my mouth. I'm the one who created you and I'm the one who sustains you. And then notice, Jesus, of course, when he quotes this, he's out in the same wilderness He's undergoing the same temptation, but he passes. Because when Satan comes and gives the same temptation that was done to Israel, Jesus says, no, no, no. What I really need is not bread. What I really need is the word that comes from the mouth of God. That is what sustains me. And so where Israel fails, Jesus, the true Israel, succeeds. And in John 6, we're seeing the same thing. The people are out in a remote area. There's no way to provide food for them. So Jesus does. He makes the food for them. And do they learn from that to say, oh, God has provided for us. No, they just say, we just want more bread. That's all we're interested in. Just as long as you give us bread, we're not going to ask the deeper question. And Jesus says, you're being just like Israel in the wilderness. And what's funny is they quote about God giving them manna, and they, they're kind of prompting this, and Jesus does a whole little sermon there, and he says, you're quoting the right text, but you've completely missed what the point was. You don't even understand the Bible verse that you are quoting. And so gluttony feels, and it responds to physical hunger, but it stops short, and it never recognizes true spiritual hunger that lies behind everything else. And so consequently, gluttony tries to feed spiritual hunger with physical food. A Christian author named Frederick Buechner in his kind of meditations on the, the seven deadly sins said this regarding gluttony. A glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. Okay, he raised the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. So that's what gluttony is. Now, what is gluttony's misplaced identity? Gluttony's misplaced identity. In gluttony, I seek to find my identity in physical desires, attempting to fill my spiritual hunger by material food and drink rather than by God. See, once again, you and I were made a certain way. We are made both physical and spiritual beings. But our deepest need is to know God and be known by Him. But in gluttony, the physical is overwhelming the spiritual. And so rather than finding my identity in God, gluttony is so focused on physical desires, especially hunger and thirst. We're going to see in lust next week. It's a different set of physical desires. But gluttony is physical, is hunger and thirst, that it cloaks and it misses spiritual hunger. So ultimately, gluttony causes us to look to food to fill our spiritual, emotional, and relational needs. And if we're honest, how many of us have ever done that? There's a spiritual need going on. I'm emotionally empty, and so what I do is I grab a bunch of chocolate and I shove it into my face, right? That's what we do. Or for some people, it's alcohol, and I try to drink away my problem. But see, that's what we're doing is we're not asking what the real issue is 
that underlies it. So John uh, Mabry, was quoted in one of the books I read in preparing for the series, said this, gluttony is the sin of looking to food to satisfy the cravings of our soul for security, a sense of well-being, comfort, and control over our lives. Gluttony is a hunger for earthly things as a substitute for God himself. See, those emotional needs, those relational needs, those spiritual needs that you and I have are there because God is saying, that's my voice. I'm calling you back to myself. But gluttony says, I think I'll just eat another cheeseburger and hope that that voice will go away. I think I'll just have another drink and hope the voice will go away. So unbridled gluttony turns my stomach into my God. Now, that may sound very strong, but I actually just quoted a scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says this, For as often as I have told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. So notice, rather than recognizing and having the eternal focus, it's a temporal focus. And the problem is, Paul says, their God has become their stomach. They have physical needs, and in no way, shape, or form can they restrain those. They must simply follow what those are. Now, I want to come back, because I mentioned a few minutes ago, this isn't necessarily the way we think of as gluttony. Because we tend to think, you know, that it's somebody who just sits around and eats and eats and eats all the time. The ancient church came up with actually five different ways you can eat like a glutton. So I'm going to train you now how to eat like a glutton. Five ways. Number one, and the first two are by what we eat. We can be a glutton by what we eat. The first of these ways is eating food that is just sumptuous all the time. And what this is talking about is too much rich or junk food. It's eating the wrong kind of food that tastes good, but it's got little nutritional value. This is a person who, and they may be rail thin, but their diet consists of junk food, cheesecake, name what it is. Okay, I, I, I had a, a child who, we used to laugh, I won't say which one of my kids, but we said they had like an inherent radar that they could determine if food had any nutritional value that they didn't want it before they had ever even tried it. But they never met a bit of junk food that they didn't like. Okay, and that is being a glutton. You can be rail thin. It's not even about the amount of it you're eating. It's just simply saying, I only like this kind of food, and there's really no nutritional value, because why did God give us food, ultimately? To feed and sustain our bodies. But there's a bunch of food that doesn't really do that very well, so that's one way. A second way, you can be a fussy eater. Uh, this is somebody that it has to be made just the right way. It's kind of like a child that when you make the sandwich, you got to cut the crust off and everything's got to be just right, okay? Which is one thing if you're like four, 
It's another thing when we're an adult, we should put childish ways behind us. Now what's funny is this is not the way we oftentimes think of it, is it? See, we think of a glutton as being somebody who just wants to eat, 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 eat. But the ancient church, and I realized last year when I reread the screw tape letters, the form of gluttony he picked that the demon was working on was actually this, a fussy eater. And his in the letter he said, what you need to do is cultivate under the thing that all I want is just a cup of tea if they could just make it properly. It has to be exactly the way I want. And so one of the examples that was given is if I'm the kind of person that goes into a restaurant and I can never just take what's on the menu, I always need you to make a change because I need it to be just the way I want. It's not that big a deal. It just needs to be the way I want. The funny thing is my wife and I, when I read that, both immediately thought of someone that no one would accuse of being a glutton normally, except in the ancient church they would have looked at that and said, if you can't just take what's set before you with gratitude, there's a problem. And the problem is gluttony. So that's the first two ways. The next three are all related to by the way we eat. And we're a little bit more used to these because I don't think most of us would have thought of those first two ways. The ways we eat. First, you can eat too hasty. This is consuming food whole, hardly chewing, not giving any enjoyment, wolfing it down. Have you ever watched a teenage boy eat? Not to pick on teenage boys, but last week at the work party, I came across a group of them and I almost did a video of them to show this morning as they were wolfing down McDonald's, thereby eating junk food and wolfing it down. So in two different ways, right? And I can say this because I was a teenage boy at one time. But if you've observed it, have you ever talked to people and said, did, did you even taste that on the way down? See, the ancient church said, that's gluttony. Because God gave you this food. This is supposed to be pointing you to something else. There's no way for it to be doing its work because you're just throwing it down so fast. Hasty eating, the church said, that's, that's actually a sign of gluttony. Another one, ravenous eating. This is the person who can't wait for anybody else. I sit down, I've grabbed my food off of the plate, and I'm eating before anybody else does. I even eat more, even though it means other people don't get to eat anything at all. In other words, I'm an American, but I won't go there. Do you understand? I mean, we can sit there and we can do that. There's, this is where manners kind of come in, because see, manners are actually developed to prevent me from eating like a glutton. That's why they're the way they are. That there's manners that, that we wait. We're concerned with other people. But see, ravenous eating is just grabbing and getting mine, and I'm getting my share. Have you ever seen the pictures in the, uh, uh, you know, on like a National Geographic show where the lions kill, and then the male lion who didn't do the work comes running in, and he makes all the others leave until he's eaten his fill first? You and I are not meant to eat that way. But the ancient church said, but that's gluttony. And then the last one is excessive eating. This is the one we think of. It's just eating too much food. But it may be different than what you think because I actually am not the kind of person, you know, if, if we go into a, uh, an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord, they always make money on me because 
I can't eat that much at one sitting. But you know how I can eat excessively? Is eating constantly. I actually had a roommate one time. I was actually trying to gain weight, and I was doing a lot of weightlifting back then. And Not a roommate, but a, the guy that worked with me in my cube. We'd been together for like a year, and he came in one day, and in this very exaggerated manner, he backed up against the wall and was like, oh, my word. I said, what's the problem, Bob? He said, you're not eating. I said, okay. He said, I don't think I've ever seen you where you weren't putting food in your mouth. And I was like, okay. <laughs> But it was true, at the time I was eating six meals a day. I was constantly eating. I can be a glutton, not by eating a whole bunch at one time, but I'm just constantly going. Every time my stomach or you know, is craving something, or I'm just bored, I'm just putting food in the mouth. All of those are ways for eating. And this last one comes out particularly with nervous or depressed eating. And you can see how this relates back to the state of my soul. I've got a problem going on. There's an emotional problem, and so what do I do? Rather than going to God and talking about, I just eat, right? Now, there's an acronym for these to help you remember it, and the acronym is actually FRESH. So she can put it fussy, ravenous, excessive, sumptuous, or hasty. And I'll leave this up there for a minute. They're also all going to be out. This will be out on our Facebook page later this week, and you can grab it later. But consider that because when you look at this, do you see this is the wisdom of the church as they thought about this through the ages. We've narrowed gluttony down basically to excessive. But that's only one part of it. There's a lot of ways to eat like a glutton because there's a lot of ways that I can use food as a substitute for God. Now, what's the fruit of gluttony? Because we're talking about root vices, so how does it feed into other sins? Well, there's, there's a number of ways here. First off is simply ingratitude. Because a glutton simply consumes food rather than being thankful for the fact that how amazing is it that God put us on a planet? Let me ask you a question. We're looking out through uh, telescopes now and seeing billions and billions and billions of galaxies composed of billions of stars and all of these things that are out there spinning around. How many of them grow food we can eat? The one we're on. And what does it take to grow food here? I mean, a bunch of it just grows whether we're doing anything or not. I just pop a seed in the ground and up comes stuff that I can eat. Pretty amazing. But we can, a glutton, there's no gratitude. It's just taken for granted. Another one is lack of self-control in other areas. And this is why gluttony can be a big deal. See, the constant practice of giving in to my physical desires in one area, particularly regarding food and drink, makes it much harder to resist urges in other areas. You and I, are training ourselves every day. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I won't put this quote up, but one of the things he quipped is, throughout human history, what we've done is we've always had to curb our desires and make them fit with reality. So if you wanted fresh fruit in a northern climate in the middle of December, guess what? There wasn't fresh fruit. It's just not that way. But see what technology is doing now is saying, I'm going to change nature and make it fit my desires. But you know the problem with that? 
after I do that day after day after day after day, what do my desires expect to have happen? They should be met at the touch of a button. I should have what I want, when I want it, how I want it. But the problem is, friends, when you and I do that, it becomes very hard to resist urges, whether they're good or bad. So that's another reason that gluttony feeds into all kinds of things. It makes it very hard to grow morally because our habit becomes, I give in to my physical urges. So this is why, for example, well, and uh, one example that comes out then is obviously drunkenness is a sin that grows out of gluttony because gluttony is a successive thing with food. The problem is not with alcohol itself. Scripture does not say alcohol is a sin. It's the excessive use of alcohol that is a sin. And so we're told, do not get drunk. But why do I get drunk? Because I just keep giving in to my urges and I can't stop. And particularly because I'm trying to drink away spiritual and emotional need and pain or drug use. So uh, another thing then that it's oftentimes actually tied with all kinds of other sins, including sexual and other sins. If you think about this, ancient orgies were a combination of food and sexual practices. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 32, remember when God had given the Ten Commandments and Moses comes down and what are they doing? They got a massive party going on. It says that they, they sat down and ate and drank and then got up to engage in pagan revelry. And what it means is food and drink was there. They gave themselves over excessively to it and then that led to all kinds of other stuff which brought down the wrath of God upon them as a people. That's what oftentimes it does. So because food is so central to human existence and to the drama of redemption, its proper use opens the door to holiness but gluttonous abuse opens the door to all kinds of other sins. Don't think food is unrelated to other sins. I'd encourage you this week in After Hours, I'm going to go through and show just how important food is in Scripture, in creation, and in the drama of our redemption. You will see it is from the opening chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation. Food, food, food. It lies at the center of what it means to be human, and it lies at the center of our faith, as we're going to do in a couple of moments when we have a meal here. So I would encourage you to listen to the After Hours video, and we'll talk about that. All right, let's talk about applying the Word, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. So each week, we're looking for these virtues. What is the virtue that's in place of the vice? So if we're not to be gluttons, then what are we trying to cultivate in its place? Well, first is the virtue of temperance. We are called to grow in the virtue of temperance. Gluttony at its heart is about excess. Temperance at its heart and core is about moderation. Now, let me give a word here. I debated how to handle this. We in America have messed this up. For us, temperance, because it became known as the temperance movement, which was no alcohol at all. That's not what temperance meant. It's, it's actually an ancient Christian virtue. And temperance 
was not, uh, did not have anything to do with abstaining from alcohol or any particular food or drink, but rather learning to eat and drink in moderation. That's always what was meant until America got a hold of it and messed it up in the 1800s. So what we're talking about here is moderation. Now, what are some practices that help us cultivate this moderation, this ability to eat and enjoy food, but not go overboard, to, to have and enjoy drink, but not go overboard. Well, number one, a key practice for that is fasting. It's a very, very important practice because there's nothing to train your body to say no to its very core central urges like fasting. If you've never practiced it, I really encourage it. We're, of course, encouraging everybody to do it one day a week now. It's amazing, isn't it? When you don't get to eat for a while, you start finding out all kinds of things about yourself. Just how addicted I am to food. I discover, for me, how often I, as I'm sitting there working, want to reach and grab something and put it in my mouth. Not because I particularly need it, just out of the habit. So fasting, a and now, let me say, in the Scripture, fasting can include all food or specific types of food. Those who were here last night laughed because during this time of Lent, I, I'm not eating ice cream th this, uh, this year. First time I've ever done that because I like ice cream. I like ice cream a lot. And so my wife knows I'm doing this. So last night she caught me. I had grabbed it and I was about to start putting all kinds of stuff over the ice cream. And my wife turned at me and said, what are you doing? And then I realized, oh my gosh, I was about to dive headfirst into this bowl of ice cream. I just wasn't even thinking about it that I'm not supposed to be doing it. So it can be a very specific type of food that we give up or all foods, but the practice learns to curb our desires. And I can tell you with ice cream, since I haven't done it, last night was the first time I picked it up, every night I would have ice cream. I mean, it might be three foot of snow and 12 degrees outside, but I was eating ice cream, man. I like my ice cream. But now, every evening after supper, I'm not thinking. At first, it was like, I want to go in there and get a bowl of ice cream. Now that I've been doing it for weeks, I don't even normally think about that. That's why last night it wasn't even on my mind. It was like, hey, ice cream, let's put some in a bowl and have it. Uh, either way, you can work to do that. So fasting is a great practice. And I encourage you to weave it regularly into your Christian spiritual practices. Secondly, however, and this might seem counterintuitive, but the church said a great way to practice temperance and a great way to cut gluttony was actually feasting. Feasting is part of it because it's a cycle of fasting and then feasting. See, what we've tended to do in our culture is we get rid of any kind of cycles and we just go in this blur where everything happens all the time. And that's not wise. It's not the way we were made. If you look in Israel's worship, there were times of fasting and there were times of feasting. It was part of their worship. And so we are encouraged to do that. But feasting requires good food, not junk food, actual good food that is worth eating, that takes time to prepare, takes time to appreciate. It's about spending time with family and friends together, sitting and having a meal, savoring the food, savoring the drink, savoring the conversation and fellowship. 
when you eat that way, you're not really given over to gluttony because it's, it's an entire experience together. And it is woven together with fasting. In America, we have cut these practices because we want everything 24-7. But I encourage you to think, did God, and did God create us to experience life 24-7? Every week there was Sabbath, a day that was set aside. It was different. It wasn't just like the other days. In worship, there's periods of fasting. There's periods of feasting. There are seasons of the year where life is different from others. We have tried to stop all of that and make it a blur. That is not good, friends. And it makes it hard for us to resist other vices and sins. So that's the first way. Secondly, we cultivate self-control. We, we grow in temperance, but then we cultivate self-control. Gluttony is a lack of self-control, specifically with regard to food and drink. Now, here's the good news. If you say, but I don't have self-control, that's my problem. The good news is if you are a Christian, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. You don't have to have self-control. The Holy Spirit produces it in us. That's what he is working and doing. That's what the Word of God tells us. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for those taking notes. So the Spirit works self-control in us. So we need to seek the Holy Spirit and we ask him, I need you to help me in this area. I need you to build self-control into my life. Now, what are some practices to help us do that? There are many that you could do. I'm going to just bring up one, which is actually physical exercise and exertion. Very often when we think of ourselves and we consider ourselves overeating, do I think of that as I am out on a brisk walk or as I'm kicked back in my recliner? We know which it is, don't we? See, physical exercise, which is only of limited value, but it is good because gluttony is giving in to physical desires. Physical exercise disciplines our bodies and our desires because is physical exercise pleasant? Somebody answer it for me. If you think it is, you haven't done it. And this is coming from a guy who's been doing it my entire life. Tomorrow morning, I will think, I don't want to go do this. It's a daily practice of saying, I'm going to go do what is good and right. So I'm learning to say yes to what is right and no to what is wrong. And it's funny how that then bleeds over in the ability to control gluttony, which feeds over in the ability to control other urges and desires that are self-destructive. And this is why we won't turn there right now, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says, he's talking about what he's doing and the things that he's giving up, and he says, so I beat my body and I make it my slave, lest after I have preached to others, I would find myself disqualified for the prize. Paul said, there's a way I can disqualify myself in the ministry God has given me because I can't control my bodily desire. So I've learned to control my body. And he compares it to being a boxer actually there in the thing. He says, I'm in training and doing this. So we train our bodies. Then the last area, and this gets to the heart of gluttony, is we renew our passion for God. We renew our passion for God. Because gluttony is attempting to to feed spiritual hunger and needs with physical food and drink. That's at its core what it is really about. So to combat 
Gluttony we have to recognize, encourage, and feed spiritual hunger. When that hunger comes up, we don't want to glut ourselves on the wrong kind of food. We want to encourage that hunger and then seek to address it by the means that God has given. And so there are many ways we can renew our passion for God. What we're actually going to do right now is we're going to be coming to the Lord's table. Because the Lord's table is actually a way that we renew our passion for God. It's a means of grace that it feeds and strengthens us spiritually, but it's also spiritual food for our hunger. So there's a kind of a funny thing. What the Lord's Supper does, somewhat paradoxically, you can go ahead and bring it down in the middle, Patrick. Our, uh, the, what the Lord's Supper does is it both encourages spiritual hunger in us and then feeds that hunger. It does both of those. And so we want to encourage that as we come to the Lord's table. So this week we're going to be coming down here to the table of feasting. And I want to encourage us all to do two things. Number one, if there is any sin in your life, and particularly this morning talking about gluttony, if you recognize, you know what, there has been a spiritual hunger, but I've tried to address it in the wrong way, we want to confess that to God. Because God is here to hear, forgive, and cleanse us from our sin. But we also want to ask God this morning to renew and to fill our spiritual hunger, okay? Because that's a key thing, that we hear the right cry that's arising up. Because you see, what, what gluttony has trained us to do is when that little voice cries up from within inside, rather than saying, that's the voice calling me to God, we think that's the voice calling me to the cupboard. Rather than thinking, oh, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He's drawing me to Jesus. I go stand in front of the icebox. This morning, let's ask God to say, no. When I hear that voice, I want to recognize it for what it is and see that be filled. If you are a guest here, I, we want to let you know you do not have to be a member of Bay Ridge Christian Church to eat with us. You do have to be a believer. And that means exactly what we've been talking about throughout this, that you are created to know and love and glorify God. And the only way to do that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all sinful. We have all turned away, every human being. But God has opened the door to relationship with him through Jesus and there is no other door. There, there isn't a door B. It is just Jesus. If you believe that, we encourage you to eat with us. If you don't, you shouldn't because eating this meal is a profession. I believe that. I believe Jesus is the true bread and there is no other true bread. So, friends, we will come to the table together this morning. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are so grateful for all of your provision for us. Lord, we ask this morning as we come to this table 
that you would both create and then fill a spiritual hunger within us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them. We will take them together in a couple moments. And I encourage you, confess your sin and be praying and asking God to give you that hunger and thirst. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You have richly provided bread to satisfy our physical hunger and oil to make our face shine. And you have provided the bread of heaven, our Lord Jesus, to feed our spiritual hunger. And you have anointed us with your Holy Spirit that our faces might shine with the light of your glory. So Father, today we forsake our sin and the attempt to feed our spiritual hunger with physical food. We turn from that futile attempt and we feast upon our Lord Jesus Christ to feed our souls. Take and eat. And blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth wine from the vine. Father, you have richly provided wine to gladden the heart of men, filling our hearts with joy at your goodness. And you have provided the true vine, our Lord Jesus, to nourish our soul and to slake our spiritual thirst. May your spirit raise our spirits to heaven to drink deeply of the life Christ has provided that we might be filled with eternal joy through Jesus Christ. Take Blessed are you, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in our Lord Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing, who has poured out your Holy Spirit, filling us with his gifts and the fruit of love, joy, and peace. Father, we thank you for all these things, and now we go forth in your power to serve the world in your name. Lord, we ask you to do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, and we will conclude with the word of benediction, and I encourage you to receive the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.